Greetings. I hope your evening is going well. Please have your tickets ready as we walk by. Tickets? Tickets, please. Right this way. This evening, I will be your gracious host. You can call me The Creeper. Welcome to Carnival X. Tonight's show is a collection of five tales born of the Halloween season. You will witness the perils of visiting abandoned haunted houses, having trick-or-treaters show up on the wrong day, getting lost in the Canadian wilderness, and even multiple tales about what happens when you get stuck working overnight on Halloween. Please step through this door to enter our first tent of the evening. In here, we will experience the story of a man tasked with running security in a graveyard on Halloween night. Our first story is called Nine Rules for the Night Shift on Halloween. You sure you have all the rules memorized? My boss said as he gathered his belongings to go home. Yeah, sure thing. I got them all up here, I said as I pointed to my head. He gave me a nod and headed out the door of the small office to go home. My boss was... a little off, to say the least. This was my first month as a security guard at a cemetery right around the corner from my residence and I had just gotten out of college about three months ago. The last month of shifts had been boring, sitting around, checking cameras, and doing rounds through the cemetery, making sure nothing is out of order. Exciting, right? I needed a source of income, and this was the best paying job I could find. No real experience needed, the flyer said. My take was that they were desperate to find someone fast, so I took advantage of that. I was hired the day that I found the flyer, over the phone. I never even found out the guy's name. When I came in on my first day, my boss gave me no training, no do's and don'ts, just a verbal list of nine rules I had to follow and memorize before Halloween night. These rules are to be followed only on Halloween night, he said. You must follow these rules the exact way they are told to you. If you mess up even a small part, well, you won't mess up, because I trust you to follow them word for word. I looked at him, confused, because this sounded almost like a threat. Nevertheless, I pulled out my phone and started an audio recording so he could record the list. Once he finished telling me the rules, I was in absolute disbelief. This guy is insane. No wonder why no one wants to work here. This guy is actually insane, I thought to myself. I know every place has certain rules to follow, 
but to designate a set of rules, insane rules, for Halloween night only? I guess you won't know how I felt until I tell you the rules that he gave me, word for word, exactly how he told me, straight from the recording. Rule number one. On Halloween night, please arrive at 8.30 p.m. No earlier, no later. Do not walk in these doors until it reaches 8.30. For the love of God, please. Rule number two. Stay inside the office until 9.15. Do not leave. Keep yourself occupied, but do not check the security cameras during this time. I'll make sure to turn them off before you get here, so there is no temptation to peek at them. This might be one of the most important rules. If the monitor turns on by itself, do not look either. If for some reason you look, and you see it has revealed the A section of the cemetery, you must turn off the lights of the office and hide. If it reveals the B or C section, and you look at it, your only option is to run. Good luck with this. To make this easier, just cover the monitor with a jacket or blanket, because you will not want to see what happens out here at this time on Halloween night. Rule number three. After 9.15 strikes, you will have 30 seconds to get out of the office. Leave the door unlocked. It is possible you will pass an unnaturally tall figure with no facial features. This is not a Halloween costume, and you must tell him good evening and look at him right where his eyes would be. If he doesn't respond, continue on your way to patrol the cemetery. If he says anything at all, you must stand completely still. Do not move a muscle. He might walk around you, but if you keep still until he's done, he should walk away with no problem, go into the office and slam the door behind him. Rule number four. You will make your way to section A. Once you inspect section A, you will realize the gravestone titled James R. Hackney is being dug up completely. This is not out of the ordinary. Do not, and I mean do not pay any attention to what is inside the six-foot hole in the ground. You will not see the rest of your shift if you look down in that hole. Just keep walking to section B and do not look back. Rule number five. As soon as you cross the bridge from section A to B, you will notice about a dozen shadow-like figures standing around in a circle around the big oak tree to the left of the bridge. Please listen closely to what I'm about to say. You must find the figure wearing the black top hat. You will walk up behind him and ask, am I clear? If you hear a voice from inside your head say, continue, then you can carry on to section B. If you don't hear anything, you must wait. You can look over to the section at this time, but I recommend keeping your eyes down. Trust me. There will be no physical harm to you if you look, but I can't promise you will be emotionally intact after looking. Rule number six. Once you get the go-ahead, continue on to section B.
you may walk around and do what you would normally do every night here. The only catch is you must stay in this section until 10 o'clock. It should be 9.30 to 9.45 by now, so you won't have to wait long. After the time crosses 10 o'clock, continue on. Rule number seven. After walking out of section B, you will notice a strange temperature change and lighting change. The time will have jumped to 2 a.m. after crossing. Do not panic and please do not answer your phone. Your phone will be ringing constantly. As soon as it starts ringing, you will stand still and not move until it stops. It will be calls from your mother, father, siblings, girlfriend, boyfriend, anything you can think of. You must not answer these calls. It is not actually them calling. It is, in fact, the man that you saw earlier. The one with no facial features. He is trying to lure you back into the office. You must stay away from that office until I tell you to go back. Your phone will stop ringing after about a half hour, which leaves you at around 2.30 a.m. You can continue on at this point. Rule number eight. You will notice another time jump. This one, two more hours from 2.30 to 4.30. If the time still says 2.30 after the calls stop, you are in trouble. Unfortunately, there is nothing you can do here. You messed up a step at some point if you end up here. You can, finally, finish your inspection of Section C. You must be prepared for a woman covered in blood to run up to you begging for help. She will be asking you where her baby is, and if you can come fast to help her. Do not be startled, no matter how loud she yells. Tell her you will meet her outside of the cemetery in ten minutes. For her to wait there. She will run off in the opposite direction. And that's how you know you succeeded. There will be a lot of towels and rags all over the ground covered in blood around Section C. This is the only maintenance you will have to do. Just pick them up and dispose of them in the waste bin closest to you. Rule number nine. After completing this final task, you must run back to your office. Do not look anywhere but ahead of you. You will see figures everywhere. You will hear your name being called from voices that you think you recognize. Just keep running. Once you reach the office, you will see the faceless man leaving the office building. It should be 5 a.m. at this point. He will stop you and either say, good work, and nod at you, or come with me. If he says good work, you will slowly walk into the office and close the door. For the remainder of the shift, you can check the cameras, sit down, and go on with your shift until I come inside to start my shift. If he says come with me, you will run and lock yourself in the office. Do not fall for his calm, monotone voice. He is anything but calm if you mess up. Do not let him in and wait for him to stop banging on the door. Once this stops, cover your eyes for the last hour of your shift. 
don't look around until you hear three knocks on the door. This will be me to relieve you of your shift. You won't be called in for a few weeks to come to terms with what you have seen, and you will be paid a handsome amount of money for your duties. Now that you have listened to the rules as well, I hope you can understand my initial suspicion and why I was so baffled. I thought this was a joke until I finished my shift. After my boss left at 9.30, I decided I was going to just follow the rules given to me to humble him and be a good sport of the prank. I didn't check the cameras and I headed out the door. After going outside, the brisk fall air hit me as I saw a tall man walking up to me. I looked at him and he was actually faceless. It looked so real and kind of gave me the creeps. I almost forgot to tell him good evening. He looked at me, well, I think he did, and continued on through the door. I shivered a little as I headed on straight to section A. I arrived at the entrance and I searched for James R. Hackney's grave, a grave I always saw, as it was the biggest one there. To my disbelief, it was actually being dug up. I felt sick to my stomach that they would go this far to scare me, so I hurried past the grave as a wave of uneasiness came over me. This can't be real, I assured myself as I headed across the bridge to section B. I scanned for the oak tree, and when I finally found it, I noticed the figures my boss warned me about. I instantly spotted the one with the top hat. I unsteadily scurried over to him and asked, Am I clear? No answer. I stood there, waiting for an answer that never came. I decided to look away from the man and peek over to section B, because surely the pranksters wanted me to look, since they warned me against it. I froze, and felt pins and needles in my hands as I saw myself standing there in the distance. At least, what looked like me except I was taller and covered in blood. As the figure that presumably was me stared back, it let out a screech and started running toward me. I was startled and absolutely mortified by this and turned around to run. I looked back and as it reached its arms out, it completely vanished. As soon as it vanished, I heard a voice from within my head say, Continue. At this point, I had a million thoughts running through my head as I started to realize whatever was happening was somehow impossibly real, and I felt my mind switch from confused to defensive. I inspected the area until 10pm, constantly looking over my shoulder. I checked my phone and saw it was time to move to section 3. I felt exactly what I was told, a temperature change, and saw the surroundings get just a little bit darker. It was noticeably colder, 
No way, I told myself as I reached for my phone, which displayed 2 a.m. Before I could form another thought, my phone rang right on cue and stopped dead in my tracks. Dead, the phone displayed. I stared back at the phone as I looked at those three letters. I never knew my dad and definitely never had him saved in my phone. I felt a tear form in my eye because this was a very sensitive topic to me. I'd let it ring as I got lost in a trance of thinking about how on earth any of this was even possible. The ringing finally stopped and I let out a sigh of relief. I remembered the next rule about the time and opened my phone again, 2.30. I kept moving on with some stray tears in my eyes, watching my phone turn from 2.30 to 4.30. This was a relief to me because now that I knew this was somehow real, I realized I have done all the steps right so far. As I started inspecting section 3 with cold fingers and numb toes, I heard screaming. Naturally, this scared the hell out of me, and I jumped out of my shoes. I snapped my head around to a blood-covered woman screaming, My baby! I can't find my baby! I told her. After a bit of hesitation, I told her to meet me at the entrance of the cemetery in ten minutes. She nodded and ran off, and I noticed a ton of blood-covered rags all over the ground. Shaken up by her screams, I slowly picked up the rags and threw them out. I looked around and ran back to the office. The whole run, I didn't see anyone and didn't hear anything, which was weird because my boss said otherwise. I'll count my blessings here though and find myself in front of the office finally. The man was leaving. This time, I looked at him in complete terror as he turned my way and said, Come with me. I wasted no time running past him, into the office, and slamming the door behind me. What did I mess up? I yelled over the sound of banging on the door as I pulled a jacket over my head. I shivered in fear for the entire hour until I heard three knocks on the door. I shot up threw the door open, and yelled, What the hell did you just put me through? I was mad, although relieved to see him, who looked a lot more colorful and lifelike than he has in the past. He looked at me, and smiled at me. Go home, kid. Get some sleep. I yelled back, No, I want answers. You cannot just tell me to go after the night I just had. He looked at me and said, You took care of my cemetery, kid. I thank you for that. He held out his hand for a handshake. The name is James Ryan Hackney, and I've been dead for 200 years. Every Halloween, I leave the cemetery and recharge so my physical body does not perish. You covered me last night, and I thank you for that. 
didn't take me long to recognize his name as the name on the gravestone that was dug up. I stared back at him, mouth wide open, speechless. I walked out of that door, packed my house up, and never came back to this town again. That certainly did not go in the direction that I thought it would. Can you imagine finding out that your boss has been dead for 200 years? Please follow me to the second tent. Through this door, we will learn to pay extra attention to the calendar and make sure that we're only feeding trick-or-treaters on the night of Halloween. Our next story is called Every Night is Halloween. To his dismay, the storm cellar doors were wide open again. He didn't remember opening them, but there they were, propped open as big as day. There wasn't anyone else around who could have done it. He was alone in the big old farmhouse on the outskirts of town. As much as he didn't want to accept it, Harold realized he was getting forgetful in his old age. Hopefully no wild animals took advantage of the opportunity for shelter and ran down into the closed-off basement, he worried. They'd be trapped there once the doors were closed again. The possibility of that happening was quite reasonable. It had been cold the past few mornings. In order to allow any curious critter a chance to escape, Harold left them open for a while and went about his morning chores. That afternoon, he crept down the rickety steps with a flashlight to make sure it was empty. After shining it around the piles of old furniture and damp keepsakes, he was satisfied it was abandoned. Then he shut the doors tightly and weighted them down with a cinder block. Late that evening, there was an unexpected knock on his front door. Harold rose from his easy chair to see who'd come calling so close to darkness. He never had any visitors. When he opened the screen, he was greeted by a startling sight. There was a ghoul, a hobgoblin, and two other frightful creatures on his front porch. Without saying a word, they each held out a silken handkerchief. Harold didn't know what to make of it at first. His heart pounded at the fearful sight of the savage-looking creatures. Then he remembered that it was late October. Halloween, 
he realized with a grin. It had been so long since any kids had came to his remote farmhouse that he forgot all about the kitty holiday. Luckily, he happened to have some candy in the pantry. He told the spooky little tykes to wait on the porch and he would be right back with their treats. He was a little startled to see that they were so anxious for the candy that they came into his house uninvited. They also didn't call out the traditional trick-or-treat greeting. Where were these kids' parents, he wondered. For all they knew, he might be a kidnapper or a pervert. Hopefully they were waiting just down the hill by the mailbox. He gave each of them a generous handful of candy, which seemed to satisfy them. Regardless, he didn't receive a single thank you. The candy bandits silently turned and left into the night, leaving him to wonder about the lack of manners in the younger generation. About the only thing which impressed him was their costumes. They were amazingly lifelike. Back in his day, he only had a plastic mask with a rubber band. Back inside, he sat down and started reading his newspaper again. He was very confused to see that the date on the byline was October the 29th. He assumed a mailman had delivered an old paper, but his desk calendar confirmed it. It was actually two days before Halloween. The visitors to his front porch and their true purpose remained a complete mystery. The next morning, Harold was grieved to see that the storm doors were open again. He immediately thought of the impolite candy extortionists from the night before. The weight of the cinder block should have been too much for them, but clearly it wasn't. Those kids were far too small to remove the block and lift those heavy doors. He ran down the steps to confront the trespassers, whoever they were. Once again, the dank cellar seemed to be free of unauthorized occupants, but there were telltale candy wrapper signs on the floor. The exact same candy he'd given them the previous night. Harold's blood boiled. Either they, or their stronger, unseen family members were violating the sanctity of his home. He made sure the cellar was vacant again, and then barricaded both doors with a chain through the handles. While that countermanded the necessity of quick access to the cellar in the event of a storm, he wanted to send a clear message to the trespassers. He would not tolerate squatters or vagrants living in his home. Around sundown, Harold heard a loud splintering sound disturb the evening silence. At first, he assumed it was a falling limb in the woods behind his home and thought nothing of it. Less than a minute later, however, there came another knock on his front door. He sprang up and jerked it open in anticipation of a fiery, still unknown conflict. Regardless, he could hardly believe what he witnessed. The same rogues gallery of spooky munchkins were there, waiting with outstretched handkerchiefs. Where are your parents? he demanded. Do they know about your vandalism and trespassing in my cellar? I guess I'll have to call the police if your parents don't come forward immediately. This isn't a joke. The four diminutive guests on the front porch remained utterly silent 
Meanwhile, they continued to hold out their goodie bags for more treats. Harold was incensed at their brazen audacity. How dare you stand there demanding more from me while trespassing in my home? His face was white with rage. He reached over to pull off the mask of the nearest ghoul, but got a startling shock. It wouldn't come off. As he tugged insistently on the top of the costume to force the child to face him personally, the little devil began to growl at him fiercely. After a half dozen yanks, it was obvious that it was attached. He let go and grabbed another child's mask, with the same result. The four half-pint goblins bared impressive, real fangs as they snarled at him. As soon as he came to terms with the chilling reality of inhuman creatures on his porch, he accepted that while they weren't human, they did like sweets. He excused himself to retrieve the bags of candy before he met up with their unseen parents. It was obvious that they were all dwelling somewhere in the bowels of his storm cellar. He made a mental note to always leave the storm doors unlocked and to pick up more candy at the store. He had to maintain their unspoken truce at all costs. He shuddered at the thought of running out. Apparently, every night was going to be Halloween now. Ladies and gentlemen, if that were my house, I would not be heading to the candy store. I would be heading to the local realtor's office to find a new home. But for now, let us head this way toward tent number three. In here, we find out what happens when you trick or treat at the house with no lights. Please enjoy our next story, titled simply, Haunted House. I do my best to not look. A slight tremor in my hands as I approach the edge of the dried and yellow lawn. Pulling up to the curb, I put my old 96 pickup truck into park outside of the old house. Slowly, I inhale a deep breath and look to my right out the passenger side window. Standing there, menacingly, is a decrepit, three-story house. The outside of the building is painted a deep brown. 
the paint chipping here and there, the exterior walls covered in ivy. The black shingles have been gradually falling off of the roof for years now, making the housetop look like the salt and pepper hair of a man rapidly approaching middle age. The lawn is yellow and coarse, a stark contrast from the green and vibrant lawns that surround it. On the old wooden porch of the house sat an old scarecrow, lounging casually in a piece of outdoor furniture. This particular house has haunted me for a decade now. When I was only 12 years old, I got persuaded by my older brother, 17 at the time, to come to this house at 106 West Amsterdam Lane in the dead of night on October 30th, the night before Halloween. Cloaked in a cover of darkness, we came to the house prepared with nothing but flashlights, a pack of spearmint bubblegum, and our mother's pepper spray that we had stolen out of her bag. The house had looked the same then as it does now. Curtains in the windows torn and dusty, the front porch shrouded in spider webs, the garden an indecipherable concoction of dried, dead plants. We walked up to the front door, exchanging nervous glances. I remember hiding behind my older brother, ashamed of how scared I was. It was just a house after all. What was there to be afraid of? Oh, if only I had known. My brother knocked on the door three times in rapid succession. There was no response at first, as we waited in the chilly autumn evening, clinging tightly to our denim jackets and hoodies for warmth. But then, after what seemed like an eternity, we could hear a faint scratching on the other side of the door. My brother called out in a voice soaked in mock confidence, Trick or treat! This made me nervous. Whoever lived here, was sure to know that it wasn't actually Halloween yet. They were sure to know that we were up to no good. But it was too late. The words had been spoken, and as soon as they escaped my brother's lips, the scratching had stopped. After only a moment, we could hear the deadbolt on the door come unlocked with a loud clunk. I felt my hands begin to turn clammy, and a lump form in my throat. What were we doing? Couldn't we get in trouble for this? Before I had the chance to change my mind, the door to the house slowly swung away from us. It was dark in the entryway of the house, and we couldn't see who, or what, had been scratching on the other side of the door. There was no warmth radiating from inside the home, which was unusual considering how cold it was outside. Trent, I don't know about this, I whispered, catching a hold of my older brother's sleeve. It's fine, Justin, was all he said in response before shrugging me off of him and walking through the door. Before I even got the chance to rebuttal, he was in the door, 
and the door was slammed shut. No! I screamed, throwing myself at the door and pounding at it with my bare fists. Trent! That was the last time I ever saw my brother. His disappearance was considered a closed case when the cops found a mysterious note in his room saying that he had run away with a girlfriend and didn't intend on coming back. I knew this was ridiculous. Not only had Trent and I been close, despite our age gap, and I would have known if he had such plans, but I also witnessed his disappearance right before my very eyes. But of course, no one believed me. And now, here I am, sitting in my truck out in front of the very house that took my brother from me all of those years ago, shaking from fear. This isn't some sort of bravery stunt, not some half-baked revenge plan to get my brother back. I'm only a pizza delivery guy. I was assigned to come over to this particular house. When I saw the address on the ticket, my heart sank into my stomach. Maybe someone new had moved in? Maybe it had all been in my imagination all those years ago? Regardless, here I am pizza in hand, ready to face the house that's been haunting me for the past decade. I open the door to my truck and swing my legs out. I slowly approach the house, my knees shaking and my forehead growing sweaty. I knock three times. big tip for a pizza delivery is simply not worth disappearing over. You want a tip? Learn from your mistakes the first time. Follow me this way toward tent number four. Here we will spend the night with an employee of a museum who gets stuck working on Halloween night. And just like another one of our stories, he gets stuck with some strange rules to follow. Our next tale is titled, Taking the Halloween Shift Was the Worst Mistake of My Life. I am a 22-year-old tall and muscular male. I needed money and found a job as a security guard in the local museum. 
But this was not an ordinary museum. It was a religion museum, filled with various objects from various religions. From photos, to different prayers, the museum had everything a religious man could think of. It was very eerie, especially at night. It even had some real-sized wax figures with different characters. I do not think you understand how it feels to walk past some wax Jesus at 3am who is staring right into your soul. I took the night shift because it was quiet and because I would just lock myself in the security room, watching the cameras or playing games on the main computer. Yes, this museum had more computers. My first few shifts were normal. The only creepy thing that happened was when my cup suddenly fell, only to discover that a rat made its way into the security room. Halloween was approaching, and I took the shift. Taking the Halloween shift was the worst mistake of my life. Why, you may ask? When I entered my shift, the supervisor was waiting for me. He told me to check the night shift rules. But I check them daily, I know them, I said. No, you don't know the Halloween rules. What do you mean? Just check them. This gave me chills, because my supervisor was a sweetheart and would joke every time. Not this time. I just entered the security room, and like usual, I locked the door and started playing some Fallout 4. Some hours pass, and I forgot to check the rules. I remembered to check them when some NPC told me I broke the rules. I just paused the game, entered the desktop screen, and opened the PDF named Night Shift Rules Halloween. As I start to read, a feeling of cold sticks to me. Nothing was eerie or thrilling in the rules. Yet, I start reading, and everything was the same. But, after the last rule, I observed that there is more. That's when the creepy stuff started coming. You need to follow every rule as your life depends on it, because it really does. Check the cameras as much as you can. Make sure that after the clock strikes midnight, your door is locked. You pull the blinds and block the vent with the wardrobe. That's when I jumped. I pulled the blinds, I blocked the vent, then triple-checked the door. I turned the floor heating on and removed my shoes to move quietly. I've seen a lot of bullshit, but the tone my supervisor had, the museum itself, and the feeling of cold that struck me when I opened the PDF. This felt way too real. As I quietly go to the computer, I keep on reading. Number 4 As you may already suspect, you are not allowed to leave the room. You have everything you need to survive until daylight. When I heard, survive, my pants got brown really quick. Will I die? Is this some sort of sick joke, and I am that dumb to believe it? Anyway, 
I had to read everything. If you smell things that are not there, or hear things that are not there, like goats, prayers, whispers, etc., it's normal. If you are quiet, everything should be fine. That's all Mr. Green. Good night, and good luck. I was scared, almost hyperventilating, but I sucked it up and calmed down. I rechecked the door, the blinds, and the wardrobe. Right as I finish and put my butt back on the chair, I hear a loud clock noise. It struck midnight. The game started. I was staring at the cameras like a weirdo. I eventually fell asleep, but don't you think I slept like a log? It was the lightest and most fragile sleep I've ever had. I woke up at 2.22 a.m. when I heard something like a crack of knuckles. It felt like that sound was coming right from behind me, but I didn't have the balls to look. I started hearing whispers. I was smelling blood, so I turned around. Nothing was there. I was happy that nothing was there, but my happiness faded when I heard glass being broken. I checked the cameras, and I saw it. Four tall things, I don't know if they were human or not, broke a window and took out a ritualic doll. I zoomed on the person holding the doll, and I forgot about the fact that zooming with a camera makes sound. The tall creatures looked at the camera and waved to it. I could see no facial traits, but I could hear them mumble something. I was scared, but curious in the same time. I almost fell in a trance, but I was reality checked by life when I heard loud bangs on the door. I then hid in the wardrobe, peeking through the small crack between the doors. The bangs came, and came, and came for what felt like hours. I sent a message to my best friend, Jake and told him everything. But as I thought, he was sleeping. I had no one. I was afraid. I started hearing whispers. Prepare for death, Toby. They are almost there. They will feast on your blood. These phrases were constantly whispered in my head. Was I going nuts? I sat there, silently, paralyzed by fear. Then the bang stopped. The roosters started to sing. I checked the clock on my phone, and it was 8 a.m. Sweet mother of God, it was 8 a.m. I then deleted the message I sent to Jake, just because then, I would have to explain everything to him, and patiently waited for the guy to come to the day shift. I was browsing Reddit, and then bang, start again. I was beyond scared. 
until I heard the day shift guy yelling at me to get out because his shift started. And I quietly got out and never told him what happened. As I go home, I lay in bed, ready to get some good sleep, when I heard another whisper. Last night, it was just the beginning. Have these people not learned a thing about working on Halloween night? On to our final tent of the evening. Within this tent, you will witness fear that goes beyond being lost in the freezing cold Canadian wilderness. Please enjoy our final story of the evening. This one is called, If You Hear the Mummers Calling. Stay inside. Alright, so when I was a teenager, back in Labrador, I got stranded out in the snow. I was out there feeding our sled dogs since we kept them on an island when they weren't in service. My snowmobile broke down and I tried to restart it and flooded the engine. I spent two hours trying to start it again, but then gave up and realized it was hopeless. The thing was frozen solid. It was that cold. I ended up out there for two nights. When I realized the first night that the sun was going down and I was going to be stranded out there, I remembered my uncle's advice. He told me I should start by making a shelter. So I dug down into the snow, about two or three feet, and made a cave. Then I grabbed some pine boughs and laid those down inside to keep it warm for the night. By the time it got dark, I was so fucking cold. I didn't think it was possible to be so cold. But I got through the night somehow. What did I eat? Nothing. I was starving. There was nothing to eat out there. I spent the whole second day hungry and terrified. Just waiting for someone to come and save me. Then after that, just waiting for the sun to go down waiting to be cold again. 
the snowmobile still wouldn't start. The engine had been flooded and was frozen solid as an ice cube. The sun went down again and I was so fucking terrified, just waiting for death to come. I really thought I wasn't going to make it. I started my second night alone, freezing cold in the Labrador wilderness, only a snow cave for shelter. So I'm laying there in my little cave of pine boughs and, well, I guess I should tell you this first. I never believed in the mummers when my family told me about them as a kid. Inuit spirits and legends, I didn't buy into them at all. They used to bug me for it. There was even a ceremony where they would pretend to beat up kids with sticks for not believing in spirits. So it was kind of a big deal that I didn't believe in those things, but either way, I didn't. Something must have stuck with me though, because of how I reacted next. I heard what sounded like my mom and sister outside my hole in the snow. They were calling to me, telling me it was safe to come out now. They had found me, and I was rescued. I heard that at first, and was about to jump up and go running out there. But then, I stayed put, suddenly remembering the stories about the mummers. These creatures that take on the voices of those closest to us, and lure us away from safety, taking us with them into the cold ocean. They prey especially on children who stray too far away from the safety of their parents. They take on their voices and lure them away by calling out to them in the voices of those most familiar to them. I didn't move, remembering what my uncle and my mother had told me. I stayed inside my little snow cave for the rest of the night, shivering, waiting for them to go away. But they kept calling to me saying, Andy, what are you doing? We're waiting for you out here. Why don't you come with us? We just want to take you back home. They stayed out there all night, and I didn't sleep for a long time, as I listened to them call my name, coaxing and begging me to join them. When I woke up the next day, there was no one there. I was rescued later that same day by my uncle. My family believed what happened, saying now I couldn't doubt the legends any longer. But they told me never to speak of that day. I can't really remember why, though. I just finished typing this out. As I finished writing it, though, I heard a voice calling to me from outside my living room window. It sounded like my mom. But what was she doing outside my apartment building at 2 a.m.? Hey, Andy, can you come down here? It's really important. I stood on trembling legs and walked over to the glass. In the darkness below, I saw a figure, a woman, standing in the grass. She was soaking wet 
long black hair hanging down and dripping, covering her face. I don't think I'll sleep tonight. She calls out again and again. Maybe I shouldn't share this story after all. guess that one will give you a good excuse for ignoring your family members, won't it? Thank you for spending your evening with us, my friends. Be sure to come back soon for more Tales from the Pumpkin Patch. On your way out, please remember to monster mash the subscribe button. And click the little Franken-chime next to it. This will ensure that you are alerted by the elder gods of YouTube when we present our next set of tales. Until next time. I... I think I hear my grandmother's voice calling me. Which is a bit strange, as she's been dead for ten years. <laughs>